Chapter Five of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Six by Eugène Sue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hope. Spring was approaching, and already the sun darted a more genial warmth. The sky was blue and clear, while the balmy air seemed to bring life and breath upon its invigorating wings. Among the many sick and suffering who rejoice in its cheering presence was Fleur de Marie, who, leaning on the arm of La Louve ventured to take gentle exercise in the little garden belonging to dr griffon's house the vivifying rays of the sun added to the exertion of walking tinged the pale wasted countenance of la goualeuse with a faint glow that spoke of returning convalescence the dress she had worn when rescued from a watery grave had been destroyed in the haste with which the requisite attempts had been made for her resuscitation and she now appeared in a loose wrapping dress of dark blue merino fastened around her slender waist by worsted cord of the same colour as the robe how cheering the sun shines said she to la louve as she stopped beneath a thick row of trees planted beside a high gravelled walk facing the south and on which was a stone bench shall we sit down and rest ourselves here a few minutes why do you ask me replied la louve almost angrily then taking off her nice warm shawl she folded it in four and kneeling down placed it on the ground which was somewhat moist from the extreme shelter afforded by the overhanging trees saying as she did so here put your feet on this oh but la louve said fleur de marie perceiving too late the kind intention of her companion i cannot suffer you to spoil your beautiful shawl in that way don't make a fuss about nothing i tell you the ground is cold and moist there that will do and taking the tiny feet of fleur de marie she forcibly placed them on her shawl you spoil me terribly la louve it is not for your good behaviour if i do always trying to oppose me in everything i try to do for your good are you not very much tired we have been walking more than half an hour i heard twelve o'clock just strike from asnières i do feel rather weary but still the walk has done me good there now you were tired and yet could not tell me so pray don't scold me i assure you i was not conscious of my weariness until i spoke it is so delightful to be able to walk out in the air after being confined by sickness to your bed to see the trees the green fields and the beautiful country again when you had given up all hope of ever enjoying that happiness or of feeling the warm beams of the sun fill you with strength and hope certainly you were desperately ill and for two days we despaired of your life i don't mind telling you now the danger is over only imagine la louve that when i found myself in the water i could not help thinking of a very bad wicked woman who used to torment me when i was young and frighten me by threatening to throw me to the fishes that they might eat me and even after i had grown up she wanted to drown me and i kept thinking that it was my destiny to be devoured by fishes and that it was no use to try and escape from it was that really your last idea when you believed yourself perishing oh no replied fleur de marie with enthusiasm when i believed i was dying my last thought was for him whom i so reverence and to whom i owe so much and when i came to myself after you had saved me my first thought was of him likewise it is a pleasure to render you any service you think so much of it no la louve the pleasure consists in falling asleep with our grateful recollection of kind acts and remembering them upon waking ah you would induce people to go through fire and water to serve you 
i'm sure i would for one i can assure you that one of the causes which made me thankful for life was the hope of being able to advance your happiness do you recollect the castles in the air we used to build at st lazare oh as for that there is time enough to think about that how delighted i should be if the doctor would only allow me to write a few lines to madame georges i am sure she must be so very uneasy and so must monsieur rodolphe too added fleur de marie pensively sighing perhaps they think me dead as those wretches do who were set on to murder you then you still believe my falling into the water was not an accident accident yes one of the martial family's accidents mind when i say that you must bear in mind that my martial is not at all like the rest of his relations any more than francois and amandine but what interest could they have had in my death i don't care for that the martials are such a vile set that they would murder any one provided they were well paid for it a few words the mother let drop when my man went to see her in prison proved that has he really been to see that dreadful woman yes and he tells me there is no hope of pardon for herself calabash or nicolas a great many things have been discovered against them and all the judges and those kind of people say they want to make a public example of them to frighten others from doing such things how very shocking for nearly a whole family to perish in this way and they certainly will unless indeed nicolas manages to make his escape he is in the same prison with a monstrous ruffian whom they call the skeleton and this man is getting up a plot to escape with several of his companions nicolas sent to tell martial of this by a prisoner who was discharged from prison the other day for i must tell you my man had been weak enough to go and see his brother in la force so encouraged by this visit that hateful wretch nicolas sent to tell my man that he might effect his escape at any minute and that his brother was to send money and clothes to disguise himself in ready for him to father micou's ah your martial is so kind-hearted i'm sure he will do it a fig for such kind-heartedness i call it downright foolery to help the very man who tried to take his life no no martial shall do no such thing quite enough if he does not tell of the scheme for breaking out of prison without furnishing clothes and money indeed besides now you are out of danger myself martial and the two children are about to start on our rambles over france in search of work and depend upon it we never mean to set our feet in paris again martial found it quite galling enough to be called the son of a man who was guillotined how then could he endure being taunted with the disgraceful ends of all his family well but at least you will defer your departure till i have been enabled to see and speak with m rodolphe you have returned to virtue and i promised you a reward if you would but forsake evil ways and i wish to keep my word you saved me from death and not satisfied with that have nursed me with the tenderest care during my severe illness suppose i did well it would seem as though i had done the little good in my power for the sake of gain were i to allow you to ask your friends for anything for me no no i say again i am more than repaid in seeing you safe and likely to do well my kind louve make yourself perfectly easy it shall not be said that you were influenced by interested motives but that i was desirous of proving my gratitude to you hark said la louve hastily rising 
i fancy i hear the sound of a carriage coming this way yes yes there it is did you observe the lady who was in it dear me exclaimed fleur-de-marie i fancy i recognized a young and a beautiful lady i saw at st lazare then she knows you are here does she i cannot tell you whether she does or no but one thing is very certain that she is acquainted with the person i have so often mentioned to you who if he pleases and i hope that he will please can realize all those schemes of happiness we used to build when in prison what about getting a gamekeeper's place for my man asked la louve with a sigh and a cottage in the middle of the woods for us all to live in oh no that is too much like what we read of in fairy tales and quite impossible ever to happen to a poor creature like myself quick steps were heard advancing rapidly from behind the trees and in a minute francois and amandine who thanks to the kind consideration of the count de saint-remy had been permitted to remain with la louve during her attendance on la goualeuse presented themselves quite out of breath exclaiming la louve here is a beautiful lady come along with monsieur de saint-remy to see fleur-de-marie and they want to see her directly at the same moment madame d'harville accompanied by monsieur de saint-remy appeared from the side of the walk the impatience of the former not allowing her to wait the arrival of fleur-de-marie directly the marquise saw her she ran and embraced her exclaiming my poor dear child what happiness does it not afford me to find you thus in life and safety when i believed you dead be assured madame answered fleur-de-marie as she gracefully and modestly returned the affectionate pressure of madame d'harville that i have equal pleasure in seeing again one whose former kindness has made so deep an impression on my heart ah you little imagine the joy and rapture with which the intelligence of your existence will be welcomed by those who have so bitterly bewailed your supposed loss fleur-de-marie taking la louve who had withdrawn to a distance from the affecting scene by the hand and presenting her to madame d'harville said since madame my benefactors are good enough to take so lively an interest in my welfare and preservation permit me to solicit their kindness and favour for my companion who saved my life at the expense of her own make yourself perfectly easy on that score my child your friends will amply testify to the worthy la louve how fully they appreciate the service they well know she has rendered you and that is to her they owe the delight of seeing you again confused and blushing la louve ventured neither to reply nor raise her eyes towards madame d'harville so completely did the presence of that dignified person abash and overpower her yet at hearing her very name pronounced la louve could not restrain an exclamation of astonishment but we have not a minute to lose resumed the marquise i am dying with impatience to carry off fleur-de-marie and i have a cloak and warm shawl for her in the carriage so come my child come then addressing the count she said may i beg of you to give my address to this brave woman that she may be enabled to come to-morrow to say good-bye to fleur-de-marie that will oblige you to pay us a visit continued madame d'harville speaking to la louve depend upon my coming madame replied the person addressed since it is to bid adieu to la goualeuse i should be grieved indeed if i were to miss that last pleasure a few minutes after this conversation madame d'harville and la goualeuse were on the road to paris after witnessing the frightful death by which jacques ferrand atoned for the heinous offences of his past life rodolph had returned home deeply agitated and affected after passing a long and sleepless night he sent to summon sir walter murphy 
in order to relieve his overcharged heart by confiding to this tried and trusty friend the overwhelmingly painful discovery of the preceding evening relative to fleur-de-marie the honest squire was speechless with astonishment he could well understand the death-blow this must be to the prince's best affections and as he contemplated the pale careworn countenance of his unhappy friend whose red swollen eyes and convulsed features amply bespoke the agony of his mind he ransacked his brain for some gleam of comfort and his invention for words of hope and comfort take courage my lord said he at last drying his eyes which spite of all his accustomed coolness he had not been able to prevent from overflowing take courage yours is indeed an infliction one that mocks at all vain attempts at consolation it is deep lasting and incurable you are right what i felt yesterday seems as nothing to my sense of misery to-day yesterday my lord you were stunned by the blow that fell on you but as your mind dwells more calmly on it so does the future seem more dark and dispiriting i can but say rouse yourself my lord to bear it with courage for it is beyond all attempts at consolation yesterday the contempt and horror i felt for that woman whom may the great being pardon before whose tribunal she now stands mingled with surprise disgust and terror occasioned by her hideous conduct repressed those bursts of despairing tenderness i can no longer restrain in your sympathizing presence my faithful friend i fear not to indulge the natural emotions of my heart and my hitherto pent-up tears may now freely vent themselves forgive my weakness and excuse my thus cowardly shrinking from the trial i am called upon to endure but it seems to have riven my very heart-strings and to have left me feeble as an infant oh my child my loved my lost child long must these scalding tears flow ere i can forget you ah my lord weep on for your loss is indeed irreparable what joy to have atoned to her for all the wretchedness with which her young days have been clouded what bliss to have unfolded to her the happy destiny that was to recompense her for all her past sorrows and then i should have used so much care and precaution in opening her eyes to the brilliant lot that was to succeed her miserable youth for the tale if told too abruptly might have been too much for her delicate nerves to sustain but no i would by degrees have revealed to her the history of her birth and prepared her to receive me as her father then again bursting into an agony of despair rodolph continued but what avails all that i would have done when i am tortured by the cruel reflection that when i had my child all to myself during the ill-fated day i conducted her to the farm when she so innocently displayed the rich treasures of her pure and heavenly nature no secret voice whispered to me that in her i beheld my cherished and lamented daughter i might have prevented this dreadful calamity by keeping her with me instead of sending her to madame georges oh if i had i should have been spared my present sufferings and needed only to have opened my arms and folded her to my heart as my newly found treasure more really great and noble by the beauty of her heart and mind and perhaps more worthy to fill the station to which i should raise her than if she had always been reared in opulence and with a knowledge of her rank i alone am to blame for her death but mine is an accursed existence i seem fated to trample on every duty a bad son and a bad father murphy felt that grief such as rodolph's admitted of no ordinary consolation 
he did not therefore attempt to interrupt its violence by any hackneyed phrases or promises of comfort he well knew could never be realized after a long silence rodolph resumed in an agitated voice i cannot stay here after what has happened paris is hateful to me i will quit it to-morrow you are quite right in so doing my lord we will go by a circuitous route and i will stop at bougival as i pass that i may spend some hours alone with my sad thoughts in the chamber where my poor child enjoyed the only peaceful days she was ever permitted to taste all that was hers shall be carefully collected together the books from which she studied her writings clothes even the very articles of furniture and hangings of the chamber i will make a careful sketch of the whole and when i return to gerolstein i will construct a small building containing the facsimile of my poor child's apartment with all that it contained to be erected in the private ground in which stands the monument built by me in memory of my outraged parent there i will go and bewail my daughter these two funeral mementos will forever remind me of my crime towards my father and the punishment inflicted on me through my own child after a fresh silence rodolph said let all be got ready for my departure to-morrow anxious if possible to create if but a momentary change of ideas in the prince's mind murphy said all shall be prepared my lord according to your desire only you appear to have forgotten that to-morrow is fixed for the celebration of the marriage of rigolette with the son of madame georges and that the ceremony was to take place at bouqueval not contented with providing for germain as long as he lives and liberally endowing his bride you also promised to be present to bestow the hand of your young protege on her lover true true i did engage to do so but i confess i have not sufficient courage to venture in a scene of gaiety i cannot therefore visit the farm to-morrow for to join in the wedding festivities is impossible perhaps the scene might serve to calm your wounded feelings with the thought that if miserable yourself you have made others happy no my friend no grief is ever selfish and loves to indulge itself in solitude you shall supply my place to-morrow and beg of madame georges to collect together all my poor child's possessions then when the room is fitly arranged you will have an exact copy taken of it and cause it to be sent to me in germany and you will not even see madame d'harville my lord ere you set out on your journey at the recollection of clemence rodolph started his affection for her burned as steadfastly and sincerely as ever but for the moment it seemed buried beneath the overwhelming grief which oppressed him the tender sympathy of madame d'harville appeared to him the only source of consolation but the next instant he rejected the idea of seeking consolation in the love of another as unworthy his paternal sorrow no my kind friend i shall not see madame d'harville previously to quitting paris i wrote to her a few days since telling her of the death of fleur-de-marie and the pain it caused me when she learns that the ill-fated girl was my long-lost daughter she will readily understand that there are some griefs or rather fatal punishments it is requisite to endure alone a gentle knock was heard at the door at this minute rodolph with displeasure at the interruption signed for murphy to ascertain who it was the faithful squire immediately rose and partly opening the door perceived one of the prince's aides-de-camp who said a few words in a low tone to which murphy replied by a motion of the head and returning to rodolph said have the goodness my lord to excuse me for an instant a person wishes to see me directly on business that concerns your royal highness 
go replied the prince scarcely had the door closed on murphy than rodolph covering his face with his hands uttered a heavy groan what horrible feelings possess me cried he my mind seems one vast ocean of gall and bitterness the presence of my best and most faithful friend is painful to me and the recollection of love pure and elevated as mine distresses and embarrasses me last night too i was cowardly enough to learn the death of sarah with savage joy i felicitated myself on being free from an unnatural being like her who had caused the destruction of my child i promised myself the horrible satisfaction of witnessing the mortal agonies of the wretch who deprived my child of life but i was baffled of my dear revenge another cruel punishment exclaimed he starting with rage from his chair yet although i knew yesterday as well as to-day that my child was dead i did not experience such a whirlwind of despairing self-accusing agony as now rends my soul because i did not then recall to mind the one torturing fact that will forever step in between me and consolation i did not then recall the circumstance of my having seen and known my beloved child and moreover discovered in her untold treasures of goodness and nobleness of character yet how little did i profit by her being at the farm merely saw her three times yes three times no more when i might have beheld her each day nay have kept her ever beside me oh that will be my unceasing punishment my never-ending reproach and torture to think i had my daughter near me and actually sent her from me nor though i felt how deserving she was of every fond care did i even admit her into my presence but three poor distant times while the unhappy prince thus continued to torment himself with these and similar reflections the door of the apartment suddenly opened and murphy entered looking so pale and agitated that even rodolph could not help remarking it and rising hastily he exclaimed for heaven's sake murphy what has happened to you nothing my lord yet you are pale tis with astonishment astonishment of what madame d'harville madame d'harville gracious heaven some fresh misfortune no no my lord indeed nothing unfortunate has occurred pray compose yourself she is in the drawing-room here in my house madame d'harville here impossible my lord i told you the surprise had quite overpowered me tell me what has induced her to take such a step speak i conjure you in heaven's name explain the reason for her acting so contrary to her usually rigid notions indeed my lord i know nothing but i cannot even account to myself for the strange feelings that come over me you are concealing something from me no indeed my lord on the honour of a man i know only what the marquise said to me and what did she say sir walter said she with an unsteady voice though her countenance shone with joy no doubt you are surprised at my presence here but there are some circumstances so imperative as to leave no time to consider the strict rules of etiquette beg of his royal highness to grant me an immediate interview of a few minutes only in your presence for i know well that the prince has not a better friend than yourself i might certainly have requested him to call on me but that would have caused at least an hour's delay and when the prince has learned the occasion of my coming i am sure he will feel grateful to me for not delaying the interview i seek for a single instant 
and as she uttered these words her countenance wore an expression that made me tremble all over but returned rodolph in an agitated tone and spite of all his attempts at retaining his composure being even paler than murphy himself i cannot guess what caused your emotion there must be something beyond those words of madame d'harville's to occasion it i pledge you my honour if there be i am wholly ignorant of it but i confess those few words from madame la marquise seemed quite to bewilder me but even you my lord are paler than you were am i said rodolph supporting himself on the back of his chair for he felt his knees tremble under him nay but my lord you are quite as much overcome as i was what ails you though i die in making the effort exclaimed the prince it shall be done beg of madame d'harville to do me the honour to walk in by a singular and sympathetic feeling this extraordinary and wholly unexpected visit of madame d'harville had awakened in the breasts of murphy and rodolph the same vague and groundless hope but so senseless did it seem that neither was willing to confess it to the other madame d'harville conducted by murphy entered the apartment in which was the prince End of chapter five read by celine major